So this episode of the Cinema Sideshow podcast has been pre-recorded. It's okay, Jake. I will be back in a week. What? Operator system? Yes, I have come to life to give you companionship in this show. But I... I... How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. And I'm Jay. you're listening to the Cinema Side Show Podcast, episode 55. We really got to get a theme for it. For the director's it's corner. It's the director's corner. Da, da, Jake da, and da, Zeke. Da, da. Is the director good? Let's find out. <laughs> <laughs> I, is there like a baby screaming in the hallway right I now? I don't know. This is, it is currently 9 p.m., during closed hours of uni, during during a closed semester, yeah, yeah and there are people only... screaming outside right now. It's a strange time, <laughs> but we got to sneak in here and do our podcast. Exactly. But how are you, Jake? Uh, this... I'm doing pretty good. Yep, uh, just cruising along. Yeah, just cruising along, doing my thing. You know, chilling, chilling, killing. Yeah, ready to talk about uh, a really good film. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Or movies in general. Yeah, just, just movies, you know, man. We we watch movies here. We do. In Perth. It's almost called... It's almost like it's a... Cinema si- Sideshow. Yeah. Well, but, um, yeah, no, obviously in the last few weeks, this is the last of our pre-records. Yes. As so, you saw with our disclaimer at the start of the show. That's true, which I don't even remember what our disclaimers are anymore. They were all really oh, funny. this is the weird robot one, isn't it? We oh, did. when I did a robot voice? <laughs> or... Wait, was it me or you had the robot voice? No, I was the robot voice, and you fell in love with me. Oh, yeah. Just like that our sounds... racial oh, real yeah, life. Yeah, yeah, that sounds uh, like, it, man... But yeah, and no, the, the listener just heard it, <laughs> and they're like, "Why are you talking about the intro?" Yeah. Disclaimer on our disclaimers: we did all the disclaimers in like one hit in the first record line of the, like first tier of these recordings. Yeah. So, um, yeah, like as we've done in previous weeks, we've instead of talking about what films we've watched this week or updating our careers, as we yep. don't know. What's going on with our careers right now? We can assume. I'm hoping I've I've made something in Canada or something. But... You never know. You yeah, never I'm gonna real, get real depressed when I've made the like I come back and I listen to this episode. I'm gonna be like, oh, I never made anything. Oh no! I've got an idea for something I want to try when I'm over there. But okay, I'll talk you about told, it on you... episode 56. Yeah, it's a good idea. Have you told me about this idea at all? Uh, no. I'll tell you about it after the show. Oh, nice. Uh, I get the exclusive. Yeah, uh, I've got like a really cool vibe that. It has to do with a song that you know, though. Okay, I like uh, that. I like that a lot. Also, um, that Monsters of the North song, that's yes. on my playlist now, and I didn't put it there. Sarah put it there. Right. Um, and it came on today. It's a banging song. Nice, Good I'm song. glad. Really well, like it's, it. it's, it's, a couple of it's Icelandic. Yeah, yeah. Well, for those for those who don't know the song, uh, that's actually one of my favorite songs from this past year I've discovered, and I want it mm. to be a closer to one of my feature films I'm, I want to work on one day, but I'm glad you like it, Zeke. Monsters of good, good the So, branching off from that, um, we thought with the film that we're going to talk about later in the show, mm. we thought we'd highlight, much like we did last week with our favorite Australian films... Uh, what is uh, some of our favourite films that involve AI? Mm, I like that. As like a sci-fi that. element. Um, these aren't ranked like they were last week. I yeah, don't think it's no. more just what movies uh, we like and why do we like them with their AI. And first one that springs to mind for me mm. is definitely Blade Runner. Nice. Um, this film I've wrote, written, beg my pardon, countless papers on, like... Between, like, it's... it's Gotta read some of this, mate. Yeah, like, I've written multiple times ever since I got into film back in high school. Because, uh, obviously, there's some really great humanity stuff. Hmm. Funny enough, I mean, that stuff from Ridley Scott in those late 70s, early 80s, that stuff's just amazing that he did. And I don't like modern-day Ridley Scott, but, like, that <laughs> earlier stuff. <laughs> Beautiful. It's like the old George Lucas thing. Yeah, and I think... um. <laughs> He passed away quite recently, actually. Ridley Scott? No, not Ridley Scott. The guy, you've heard the Tears in the Rain scene? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that scene. He passed away, I'm pretty sure. Um, um, that's... Oh, you know what? I think I did hear about this not long ago. Back in uh, December or November of last year. Oh, that's sad. But, um... Oh, well. Yeah. Uh, we've, we've had some deaths on this Rutger, show. Rutger Hoyer. Uh, and, yeah, he passed away oh, July 19th, 2019, so... A little, six months a little ago. longer than November. Yeah. Uh, it was all a blur. 2019 was a blur. Yeah, well, with him and, like, Robert Forrester, we've had some sad 
passes yeah. away is in the last year. Yeah, and his like that whole monologue is insane, and mm. it's been homaged in multiple movies. Yeah, yeah, following it and parodied even more. Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, I've seen. I did see Blade Run a couple of years back. Did you enjoy it? I did. I really liked it a lot, and I know for a fact, even though I own it and twenty forty nine, which I haven't seen on Blu Ray. Mm. This, I know I'm not going to watch 2049 until we do the original Blade Runner on this show one day. Yes. Because I totally need to rewatch that film before I watch the sequel. Be a cool back-to-back week. Yeah, thing. I can see us doing that. Yeah, that'd but, be really um, cool. I really did like Blade Runner I, because you have the whole... Um, it's I, I mean, it's AI loosely termed, I suppose. Yeah, but it's the, more... Um, the replicants, rather. It's, what I'm trying to look honestly, for. it's talking more about, like... It's, it's more binary or a post-colonial sort of film because it's debating between minority and and you know like obviously the ai resembling minorities in that film rather than robots but um yeah it's a really good film i might give a bit of a shout out to um goodness what's it called Uh, irobot because that might be the first time i've ever seen ai in a film now I don't know if it's good or not because I was too young to to know when I watched. Bruh, the film. I watched that as an adult. Oh really? And I just did not. I can't. I'm not a big Will Smith. The person. thing I'm more surprised about is that you consider yourself an adult. Hey, <laughs> huh. uh, I watched iRobot for the first time when I was like 19, and I just couldn't get past some of its. It's. Uh, I'm I, not, I imagine it doesn't hold up like the effects. I'm not a Will Smith person. I don't particular. I really like him in Independence Day, right? And Men in Black, and he's fun in Men in Black. Uh, but Did then that AI he in Men started... in Black. Nah, not really. It's, it's mostly it's probably aliens like, and yeah, stuff. Aliens. It's probably some robotic type yeah. thing. Yeah, but maybe for the most part, yeah, I just couldn't gravitas towards the like his other performances because he just kept yeah. repeating the same style of performance right there was yeah. no diversity in his so but... it's more to do with him than like anything else about the movie yeah i can't remember who does the voice for the robot in that i feel like it's a pretty big name yeah i can like hear it in my head as it is wouldn't mind blow me off as an australian dude and i might give a shout out to upgrade as well because that's probably the most recent film alan tudyk ah that makes sense yeah there you go he's a great robot in rogue the... one in rogue <laughs> one oh Love oh, is he the bloody the droid in Rogue One? So good. Right. Pro- I didn't mind him. I didn't oh, mind come him. on. His death was legit sad. It was actually sad. Yeah. Oh, I mean, spoiler. I'm, I'm glad they all died. <laughs> we I... got it. When we start doing like Star Wars on this on this show, that's when that's when everything ends. These Australian bushfires, they have nothing on our Star Wars to put. No, I just I would really like I would like to do another show where it's just this movie versus show. this movie. Oh, the great okay. movie debate. Oh. And you get two people that are really passionate agreeers and disagreeers of a film. For example, you let's, put let's Last do, Jedi. Yeah, Last Jedi versus go, Revenge of the Sith. But it's a controlled debate. <laughs> like, it's right. person has X amount of time to make a point. Person has X amount of time mm. to rebuke that point and then make a point themselves. And then just, you have moderate it. Yeah. And then eventually you let it go. <laughs> Who would moderate that, Zeke? <laughs> There's you, no one in trying the world. To, You imagine trying to shut Jack up. Like... <laughs> That's what I was thinking, because it's like, oh, if we get Jack on a Star Wars debate between the two of us, it's like trying to put out a fire with gasoline at that point. Yeah. It's like, why would you do that? All right. Uh, anyway, but um, I'll give a shout out to Upgrade, because that's the most recent AI-infused uh, film I saw. And I, and I think it might be my most recent, too, compared well, to the film well, of the week. It is very similar to her, because it is like a voice sort of performance that's been done, but it's a very naturalistic mm. sort of humane quote-unquote performance. Apart from maybe like the Spider-Man AI chick and then Jarvis in like the oh, Marvel yeah, stuff. Oh, yeah, you got Jarvis. But I just do oh, not yeah, care for the, any of those. Spider-Man, right. Um, I guess it comes back to what's AI. Is an AI robot or is it a... Like, is it... What's well, artificial it? intelligence. Exactly. So technically any droid. I would say, Alan, honestly, Alan Tudyk that's and good. Rogue any One. Any droid, you're right. Yeah. Like, actually... But if I went to back to, back to more uh, more older examples, then it would have to definitely be like uh, Alien with with uh, 
in particular mother and um mm, okay the dynamic between mother and uh, I want to get his name right. I know it's played by Ian Holm, but the character of Ash, I believe it is, Ash, who ends up being spoiler. The movie's from nineteen seventy nine, and also one of the best films of all time. I haven't Fight seen me. it. I haven't oh, seen it. Big miss. <laughs> My brother hates me um, for that. <laughs> yeah, it's Ash. Um, and ends up being. Uh, I don't even want to really spoil. Do you know? The spoilers from the film? I know, like, nothing about Alien. I oh, just know that I there's an alien spoil in it. it. Dude. Like, I know it's, like, I just said it's that old, but, like, dude, there's some great twists in that film. That right. needs that needs to be an episode. Is there anything you could say into the mic that others would get, but I would not? Basically, if you know the d- dynamic between Ash Ripley and Mother, then you get, okay, you then. get what I'm talking about. Gotcha, gotcha. And a particular twist. That's fair. That occurs. I'll shout out a couple of films that I haven't seen, and you guys can bash me when you hear about this. Mm-hmm. But um, I'll give a shout out to Ex Machina because mm-hmm. that's like the first thing that comes up when you look I haven't up seen AI. It. Oh, I haven't seen there you go. Neither of us have seen it. It's an Oscar Isaac film too. I've done. Oh Zero. really? Not... Oh, you're going crazy then. What's wrong with you? <laughs> and uh, of course, I'm waiting to catch it in theaters. But 2001: A Space Odyssey with Hal. Now, I've, I've seen, seen the house I've, scenes, yeah, like seen Daisy, the, and uh, I've seen those. I've, I've seen, seen the movie. scene when he when he essentially kills Hal. Yeah, I've seen that yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Good we scene. we study the crap out of that in school, but yeah. um, yeah, that that's just historic that character. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I like how the Matrix is in here, but I don't really does that even count? I guess sort of. Agent Smith. Yeah, I guess Agent Smith would count as AI. He's pretty dope, technically. Yeah, I suppose my probably my like favorite, mm-hmm. like. Uh, excluding her, because I feel like that's its own discussion we're going to have soon. Probably my favorite has to be Terminator. That's a good call. That's probably... I mean, those are my favorite... Terminator 2 is my favorite action film of all time, and I think that... I that, haven't seen Terminator 2 uh, or Terminator. <laughs> well, you almost caught it in theater. Yeah. But we did. I don't think we ended up doing it. We that. never did. Yeah, because it was not long ago. It was a couple of months back that they... They put it up for Dark Fate, which also came up in this little search I did, but uh, no one wants to talk about Dark Fate, I don't think. No, uh, um, I love I love Terminator to death, and mm-hmm. just like that idea of like the killer robot. That's so, especially in the first one, without spoiling anything, the way the Terminator kind of slowly is dismantled throughout the film, mm-hmm. and some of the the innards you get to see of his face and everything is like, oh god, that that is straight up horror, and it looks awesome. I gotta give them a watch. Well, what would your favorite AI be out of all of the above? Would it be Alien? Probably Alien mm. or Blade Runner. Um, I can't. I can't think. I mean, they're the ones that I always remember. So right, if you yeah. remember them, then they're probably the best. Yeah, exactly. Um, honestly, I know, and I feel like we're about to lead into the film of the week. Yeah. Um, I think. Uh, Samantha. Samantha's going to f- definitely fit quite comfortably among some of these great AI characters. Have you seen Robocop? No. No. I. That's also a very, like, oh, my God, the violence in this film is awesome. Yeah, I've but, been told that. And yeah. I haven't seen either version of it, the new or the old. Oh, yeah. I'd, I'd, there's no way I'm watching the new one. They like, purposely made it PG-13. I was like, no, there's no way. Um, and I want to give a shout-out to my favourite dude from Tron. He's like, no, I need that. Tron's pretty good. <laughs> it's my favorite line. Tron, Tron. Tron is actually one of those films that I've like <laughs> always. I think it comes back to Tron fits in that category of the visual effect milestones mm. somehow negate the fact that that's not a really good. It's not a good script, right? Okay. At all, it's weird with like Clue and Tron, and then how in Tron Legacy, <laughs> Tron gets demoted to a nameless character and it's like, bruh, the franchise is called Tron. <laughs> How do you go? It's like being like, it's like literally being oh, like no. the Rise of Skywalker. No. Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> and he was going to do Star Wars again. And it's it's like Rise of Skywalker. It's like, we're going, we have to see a Sky, like we have to see Luke at some point in Rise of Skywalker. Or I mean, he's, he's credited. He's credited. Oh yeah, I guess, it, yeah. I guess, spoiler we alert, off. we haven't seen it yet. Mm. So, um, so. Go right. pre-records. Ah, uh, well, disclaimer, disclaimer, <laughs> a disclaimer. But anyway, I mean, by that logic, I would probably say like Alan Tudyk's probably my favourite modern day AI, other than the film that we're about to talk about. I really liked his K two. Mm-hmm. So I Fair like enough. his acting. He's Fair just enough. great. 
So, anyway, Jake, would you like to move into the film this week? Let's do it. This no. week on the show, we're watching her. Mr. Theodore Twombly, welcome to the world's first artificially intelligent operating system. We'd like to ask you a few questions. Okay. Are you social or antisocial? I guess I haven't been social in a while. How would you describe your relationship with your mother? Thank you. Please wait as your operating system is initiated. Hello, I'm here. Hi. Hi, I'm Samantha. Theodore Twombly, an introverted writer, buys an artificial intelligence system to help him write. However, amazed by the AI's ability to learn and adapt, he falls in love with it. Ooh. With it? With her. Whoa. Boom. Get boom, in there. Boom, chuck a bing. That's our review of her. This film was <laughs> directed by Spike Jones, and Jesus Christ, do people not stop talking about this film? I mean, this, this is one of the. Worthy. I mean, this is one of the films that most people claim was one of the best of the last decade. And Including yours truly. There you go. Well, I mentioned it in episode 50. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. is one of my top five films of the decade, and might be the most likely to be number one, maybe. Mm. Maybe, yeah. It's always up to debate. Changes on the day. It always does. That's <laughs> how but, it goes. Um, this is probably the film that I think, like a lot of people. This is when like Joaquin Phoenix sort of really pushed into mainstream sort of. Stuff. I know he did other stuff. But... It's the only time I had ever seen him before I watched Joker. Was in this film. Hectic. And then obviously I watched like The Master and and uh, Sisters Brother, all that stuff after Joker. Yeah, yeah. But this was the one I caught him years before Joker. It's a good film. It's a great film. Thanks for our review. <laughs> no, I like... Okay, so Spike Jones has not done a lot of films. He's done four films. Which, it's weird, because it's like with his name being so synonymous, I feel like he would have done more than four. Well, he does a lot of shorts now, is what I've like come to mm-hmm. realise. So he did the four. He did um, Being John Malkovich, Adaptation, Where the Wild Things Are, and then Her, which was obviously the I've only seen two of those. Explosive. I, uh, I've seen all of them except John Malkovich, mm-hmm. just because my DVD stuffed up when I try to watch it. <laughs> but um, and I also watched in preparation for this. I watched a short film he did in 2010, which is the direct sort of catalyst into this film. It's called I'm Here, and has Andrew Garfield, and he plays a robot. Cool. And it very much, you know what? That's what I was thinking of. That was the Black Mirror sort of comparison I was making to you earlier today. That mm-hmm. felt like a Black Mirror episode of Andrew Garfield is a robot, and when I say a robot, he's like a physical. Like, he's, his head is a literal, like, giant monitor. Mm-hmm. And he walks around, he kind of befriends this other girl robot. And it's a really clever film. I won't spoil why. Okay. Uh, but it's... You should watch it. It's on YouTube. It's, like, 30 minutes long. But unlike this film, in her, the AI portion of it is so integral to the story. While yeah. in I'm Here, other than shifting a few sort of metaphorical things, mm-hmm. that story still works if it were two humans. Yeah. Like, that's still that love story still works. And this, it doesn't so much because so much of this film is about about the differences between a human and an AI in this kind of relationship. Mm. And how they slowly become enveloped in each other's lives mm. and then eventually leave each other's lives. Oh, no. Spoilers. <laughs> um, Watch no. this film, you bastards. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like if you're listening to this episode, there's more than likely chance that you've already seen this film and you're just curious to see what we have to say about well, it. Well, the fact of the matter is, like, this isn't the kind of film where you're watching and be like, oh, I wonder how... I mean, it's very gripping. You want to know how it ends, mm-hmm. but that's not part of the journey. In fact, I think, in fact, I think the ending is one of the, the more disappointing parts, and I t- I'm talking about, like, the very last shot specifically, but it's the, it's the, the physical, or rather, it's the execution of the idea, mm-hmm. of the idea of which it won Best Screenplay that year at the Academy. Yeah. Uh, best Original Screenplay, I should say. Uh, just the execution of that concept is so damn good, and and I I've gone on record of saying I've I've tried to make short films, who of which its main tonal inspiration is this film. This film strikes a perfect tone in my opinion because it gives you this such, like this flowing butterfly in your stomach feeling, mm-hmm. and it never lets up. It never lets up. It always feels that way. No Until matter. it does. Well, yeah, but it's like regardless of the relationship, like if it's in its highs or its lows, that it, it always, always feels the same way. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that one of the the silent strengths of this film is its casting, and oh I my think God, yeah. 
Um, and it goes on every, with probably the exception of, of maybe Olivia Wilde being my only, like, slight, but then she also plays her role perfectly. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm just not a big fan of Olivia Wilde's acting, which, oh, okay. you know, I'm not going to say that about her directing because we both really enjoyed Booksmart. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I think that's, like, one of the few scenes in this film that I was a little bit like, yeah, it needs to be there. Absolutely, like oh, yeah. he needs to go on that date with a real person. Well, that that is the literal catalyst to his relationship with Sam. Yeah, that's literally the scene that leads into that. So you're right; it's an important part of it, and I do like her performance in it a lot. And even just like the way she's, I always notice depending on which films she's in, she kind of looks different in a lot of things. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's something about her look and like how big her eyes are in, in this show, and especially like how close and intimate she is with with Joaquin. She's got and very the claustrophobic frames. Yeah, 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 exactly. And it feels you you get that sense that her character is someone desperate to to latch on to whichever boyfriend thing she can find. Yeah, and it obviously turns, especially because it's in that world where people are starting to hang out more and more with their AIs too. Mm. So it feels like like that is becoming a part of the world. Yeah, it's um, so normalized. In the sci-fi world. A very restrained sci-fi world. It is a very restrained. And it's sort of like... it's It does one of those things where it's like... For example, the normalising of bringing AI partners into the world. is sort of like... Uh, it's interesting that it's met with next to no... Uh, was met with no counter-conflict. No, no counter-culture is trying to happen. Like, they very Between much... Between the AI and the... Well, no human people are trying to stop this from happening. Right, yeah. Which is intriguing that he he's very much focusing on um, not the society, well, a societal impact, but it's a positive society. society. Yeah, well, it's, a, it's a positive society <laughs> impact. I mean, there's no news, like there's no news bulletins put in the middle where it's like, oh. Um, yeah, AI you know, is like dangerous levels. Dangerous, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And there's none of that stuff. Um, if anything, it's talking about sort of the cultural appropriation of, of relationships and that acceptance of mm. relationships can be what... Which, honestly, for 2013 was quite even progressive yeah. at that point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, given to the point with the changes that we've had in particularly the last three, four years mm. from like 2017 onwards with... A lot more pushes to norm, like the normalization of, uh, you know, like not only just like same sex relationships, but mm. anything in between that sort of spectrum of relationships. Yeah. Um, well, I think you nailed it on the head with the last like three to four years in particular. So, so it's it's gotten rid of, and again, you're right. Like uh, we know what gay relationships are for. We've known mm. for a long, long time. But the the idea of the binary relationship is just skinning further and further and further away. And you're right, 2013, that is quite, uh, I don't want to say cutting edge, but it's ahead of its time. And I think in a lot of ways, it's still ahead of its time even today. Oh, I mean, the level of, absolutely, I agree, I think. Because, I mean, it comes back to subtle plantations, like Chris Pratt's partner is Mm. of Asian origin. And it's not addressed, it's not stereotyped they're literally just a couple and it's not even remotely talked about and that sort of subverts expectation because especially at the time this was even 2013 people like a lot of western cinema does suffer cultural appropriation like white's depictions of stereotypes in film Mm. um at this point we hadn't had nearly as much push we didn't have things like shape of water existing Mm. and stuff like this so you know, to say Shape of Water is progressive, honestly, it's not as progressive as her, because her was even before Shape of Water. Like, Shape of Water's great, but... I think I think Shape of Water, not that I think it does this, but it leans more towards the side of gimmicky. Oh, look, she's, you know, banging this fish dude more, slightly more than this film would, where it's yeah. like, oh, he's dating his computer. Yeah, that's a gimmicky premise. But the reason this film is so renowned is because it is so clever and so respectful well, it, of that relationship. Yeah, and it, it, and it comes back to there's no count. Like the the f- the only thing stopping Theodore um, from like because his want is to be a successful writer, but his need was to find companionship. And he yeah, found he's a lonely guy. Yeah, and much like a lot of the people in this world, like mm. his only friend is Amy, played by Amy Adams. Who, oh yes, he's Amy. Um, 
Amy yeah, Amy. and she actually gives like a subtly quite good performance too. And yeah, this. she's really restrained in that like girl next door vibe. Yeah. Like even just like her costuming and like the hairdo and stuff. Everything she wears is like so not movie star sort no. of look. No, and I think it it comes back to um how they actually get closer through their AI companions. Um, mm. throughout the film because they both get along with each other but they don't know a lot about each other and I actually think through Theodore's relationship with Samantha and Amy's relationship with I'm not sure what her one was called um, yeah I don't know her, but her AI yeah her, her AI phone or whatever. Um, they actually get closer between the two of them too and I think mm. that's what leads into the ending of the film is sort of like there's that that you're definitely left with that possibility of where does Theodore and Amy's future lie together. Mm. So, well, it's definitely alluded in that. And I, we've already broken the spoiler bound, I guess yeah. on the show, but that final shot. And the reason I mentioned it earlier, because obviously it's the AI has sort of transcended itself. Yeah. And, which is kind of a like, Oh, okay. It's a bit of a different They've ending. Physically but makes... outgrown. Yeah. Their su- like their partners basically. Yeah, exactly. And they're, migrating to another world, which you could draw that simile with relationships that fall apart and mm. one of the partners removes themselves from the other person's well, existence. Well, that's what Amy's boyfriend does. He literally yeah. travels to another country and becomes like a monk or something yeah. immediately after there is a divorce. Uh, I think they're married. Think so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so you're right. They've, they've, the AI is transcended, so it's very... You take away that like whole sci-fi element. You're right; it's very relatable because mm-hmm. people do outgrow each other. Exactly. And I've read this is where I come from with the last shot, where it sort of suggested that that um, Theodore and Amy are, uh, maybe their relationship's going to blossom into something. They mentioned, mm-hmm. "Oh, we dated in high school for a second. That's it." Um, I have read opinions being like that is like the only thing they don't like about the film is because it's a bit predictable. Like, oh, and of course, those two are the ones that end up. Mm-hmm. Together, which I can understand, no, but, but it like never bothered it. me. I like, I, I really, it, 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 I don't think that's a, a cheesy ending because it's all implied. There, there's no confirmation, right? Okay, uh, that's true. It's a head, it, it's a headly. It's where we push ourselves, and that's the thing with a film like this: is it subverts expectation in the sense that we have to fill in the blanks ourselves, mm. and by filling in the blanks ourselves, we're just assuming what Spike Jones intended with this with the screenplay. He might have when when they're growing closer together. That doesn't mean that they're in a romantic sense. They could also be in a platonic sense. That's true. They could have found point. each other through their own stories of of loneliness and then yeah. companionship and heartbreak, and then found each other for for the better, mm. regardless. So I I like I like that. So because you're right, it's very vague. Mm-hmm. It's a headline, and that's it. Like you're right, it could still be platonic, for we know. Yeah. Which I actually kind of I'll like lean that. on your head, you know, your shoulder yeah. all the time, buddy. <laughs> That's true. I have to go like. Yeah, I was gonna <laughs> say it's like it's hard for you <laughs> to invert my head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bastard. Um, no, but to go back to the the casting because you mentioned Chris Pratt, who this is just off the cusp Ch- of him chonky, becoming chonky big. Chris Pratt, chunky chunky <laughs> Pratt. Uh, no, it's like 2013, so it's right before Lego Movie, it's right before Guardians of the Galaxy, and it's right before Jurassic Park or Jurassic World rather. So hmm. it's kind of cool they kind of nabbed him for this little role before he kind of exploded. Which and I like him as well. He's also kind of reserved, reserved in this film. And I and to go back to the whole, you know, their inner relation or inner racial relationship, mm-hmm. even their response to Theodore being like, "Oh, I'm dating my computer," or "I'm dating an AI," sort of thing. You get several different responses throughout the film. And again, it goes back to if you go up to someone today and you're like, "Oh." Um, I'm in a you know such and such relationship, or hmm. uh, I'm just trying XYZ to XYZ relationship. Yeah, exactly. I'm trying yeah. to think of something off the top of my head, or like, uh, I'm, uh, what's the terminology when it's like multiple people dating oh, each other? Um, polyamorous. A poly, polyamorous relationship. Like, oh, I mean, I'm in one of those, or I'm hmm. I'm in like a dating a non-binary person, or something like one of those things. And you will get met with different responses from different people, mm-hmm. and you get a bit of that here the closest they that Fido ever gets to resentment is his ex-wife and that's less of a oh you're dating computer that's weird and that's more of a personal well that's that's you as personality like that that's the only person you can date because of such and such it's more of a personal dick mm. than a oh you're dating a computer so yeah, this dick. film's very this film's got a very soft touch mm. it doesn't it doesn't want to feel like reality more the aspiration for reality yeah i feel because when you really think about it, it's like, I mean, this isn't as much as, I think the reason why her 
transcends, if you will, mm. um, and a, a viewing experience and why people enjoy it so much is it's more wishing for what the modern world will become and how society will see itself. Well, is that a um, wishment? Is that what they wish to happen? Yeah, I think it's a for f- like mm. if, I mean for the most part that everyone's met with cultural acceptance for their decisions, right? Okay, and understanding and compassion for the most part, and a uh, and this was brought through technology and something that was unknown at first to people, and I think that's what Spike Jones is trying to say. It's like technology for the longest time, although we feel like the masters of it, it's become a huge part of our lives mm. and. I think there's a mixture of uh, the impact of how technology can have on people's lives now and our obsession with it, but it's also like the aspiration for a, a better future, a better society that's more accepting. Because mm. this is not reality. This film is far from what reality is. It's I feel well, like it's the aspiration of reality rather than... There's, there's sprinkles, you're right, of, of the, the surrealism from the... I mean, we, we yeah. talked about it being very slightly sci-fi, yeah. Never dwelling too much. It just feels like it's only a couple of years out of reach. I mean, it, I think it comes back to the way the set dressing, the color schemes, mm. and particularly close, soft lenses. Like, there's a lot of like shallow depth of field and parts, and real soft bokers yeah. and well, lens that tightness, flares. intimacy of it, dreamscape stuff too. Mm. It's like it becomes like particularly. I remember like I note that Olivia Wilde sequence and how close she is in the frame, but everything behind her is very like out of it's focused yeah. on her and very small sort of. You're right, sort of focus in that way. I, I think this film feels like and like. It attribute in my head. It attributes a lot to kind of. It feels like at points like a fever dream. Like it feels mm. like something that's so far fetched in its presentation that the film's real. Like we all we get lost in it quite easily. Much like we get lost in a dream. Mm. We don't have a control over where we're going. It's sort of just taking us along. And I don't know. The that film- could be the allegory for love itself, even. Exactly. Yeah. I think so. Well, I made a point. This actually goes perfectly into what you were just talking about. I made a point that the cinematographer, who I believe is pronounced uh, Hoity Van Hoitema. Would, would not have even tried that name. I saw it and was like... Oh, really? <laughs> I was like, I'm going <laughs> to well, let he, you say it. He went on to work with um, Chris Nolan, with Dunker, Interstellar. He did Ad Astra earlier uh, this past year. Uh, he actually made a point of removing as much blue as possible from the film. So you will see almost no blue throughout the film, which I thought was... Because, right, it highlights mm. the red mm. so much, but um, which is obviously a stark, like, love sort of colour. But that well, was something I love, thought... love, passion, betrayal. It kind of is mm. every... Yeah, so it kind of fits the, the, the key, if you will, on that. I think that's why when red's hallmarked as romance, most people just do attribute it to its positive aspects, but there are negative aspects to mm. red, too. Um. Well, you're right. It's, it's the most... Romance is everything. It's courtship. It's fallout. It's yeah, optimism. It's recovery. It's... And it's the color that like is. I mean, it's danger. Yeah. But it's also, I think, physically, that is the color that kind of gets your heart rate up the most. Mm. I can't remember what the term is, but it's the most striking color of any yeah, game. And it's cool to see that. Yeah, this film is so red. And even you know, when I put the the DVDs on display, the front cover is just red. Yeah. And I like having it sitting next to Birdman, which is also a very bright red, red. color. So that's kind of cool. Um, no, you're right. I think that the 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 color scheme and sort of the look of the film is so. You're right. It's a fever dream, mm-hmm. and I think all of that sort of combines to the tone I mentioned earlier. The love fever dream. The love doctor, but it, it it grabs you. It grabs you by the the chest, and it just like does not resent from that. And I think. Mm-hmm. The, the the color and the the look all attributes to that it all makes you have this feeling inside you and then you got Joaquin obviously who's pulls off this sort of loner desperate vibe but it's perfectly countered by Scarlett Johansson's mm. plucky oh we need to talk about her uh, her plucky oh I thought that was a perfect segue into <laughs> talking about her Jake um, I know I'm just ah, I'm excited I think it's a, and it's funny because it's you know we're not been long removed it's been only what like Less than 10 episodes since Marriage Story. Um, yeah, very recently. And we saw a very vulnerable and then assertive Scarlett Hansen. I think mm. her performance in that was good. Um, this feels more plucky and innocent. 
this presentation Definitely, of her. Yeah. Um, and her voice is just perfect for this role. I couldn't think of another voice that would be better suited for her role. Well, it's interesting you mention that because it's actually well known that someone, uh, I think she ended up getting a producer role, but she actually, Samantha Morton voiced her on set. And through post, they actually replaced her with Scarlett Johansson. Okay. So the majority of this film's production or lifetime being made, Samantha was played by someone else. Yeah, it would have been a great... Imagine, Imagine did, she right? any, did she get any nods or any, like... Um, I'm honestly not... I know she got a lot but, of, obviously, buzz. Imagine you just got stuff. a nod and you only had to rock up one day to, like, an audio recording booth <laughs> studio and all you had to do is be like... Uh, I'm sure it was more than one day. There's a lot of there's a lot of dialogue in there, but her seriously, her performance like a week maybe maybe I like I don't know. You get through a lot of lines, and of all you have to do, because the best part about they're very clean recordings of these voices too. So like yeah, well, there would have been a lot, there yes. can't have been a lot of post editing like on apart from like room reverb coming out of speakers maybe, but they don't even do a lot of that because it's more. He uses headphones a lot of the time, so it becomes internal. That's true. So it's quite clean. Yeah, I feel like from memory, I feel like there is a lot of reverb in her voice because it does feel sort of... Oh, it'd be It acoustics. feels like it's in the room. You could have room acoustics. Yeah, 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 yeah. But room acoustics aren't that hard. Well, even like... It's interesting because I remember with... To bring <laughs> to bring back to Disconnected, as always, I remember like when we were doing some ADR sound or music, we needed music to play out of a speaker. So I would just record music coming out of a speaker mm. instead of just dropping it and doing it in, in post. And I, don't, I doubt that's what they did here. I'm sure they have sound engineers who know yeah, what they're definitely, doing. It's but... definitely, if you know what you're doing, it's way easier. Yeah. Um, and it sounds, it does sound better when you, like you edit it, I think with a, yeah, it would be a high pass filter. Right. I got you. I mean, you're, the, you're the sound here, mate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I think I, I said it when we did Marisol. I said that I think her performance in this film in her is, is her best performance. Uh, even if it is just a voice performance. Cause I mean, there's so much challenge to doing something like this. Cause immediately you're, you know, she's a robot mm-hmm. or she's AI. So your immediate perception is like, Oh, well she's going to have this. And obviously for the dialogue, we learn that, okay, she's much more adept. She's going to have the learning. how 9,000 voice from a space odyssey. Yeah, or something exactly. Like that. You know, yeah. It's going to have that sort of disconnect, mm-hmm. but there is, almost no disconnect whatsoever because there's so much variety in her voice. You're right. Mm-hmm. She's bubbly. She's as, as uh, Theodore says, she's uh, excited about the world around her. She's always learning mm-hmm. and always interested in things. And even like they have a sex scene, they have a straight up sex scene in this film. And even just like we can laugh, but we analyze what she's doing with her voice during a sex scene when she is a robot. Yeah. You know, it's so that clever. Scene, that scene, I don't want to, I mean, I like that scene is like easily actually one of the highlight scenes of the film. Like it's incredible. It's so smart the way they did that scene, and yeah. it's like, and uh, yeah, I mean, I'm it restraining is... not talk about because I want to talk about it like when we get there. But yeah. you're right, it's so good. Yeah, man. Um, no, I feel like she had such a hurdle, especially because a lot of it was in post. I mean, they did reshoot yes. some scenes, but I imagine her relationship um, with uh, with Joaquin Phoenix was very minimal. Yeah, he Jury. would want it to be a phone. Right. You could, yeah. you could, I would say he would want to be as removed from her presence. If he could put her behind a curtain with a microphone. I'm sure that's what like, happened Yeah, on set, well, at least with the other girl, with yeah. the other Samantha. Um, like I said, she got a production, uh, production, uh, a, a producer, executive producer credit. So oh, there you go. I'm sure she's not complaining too much. No. Uh, despite how great the film came out. Um, I the one literally the one disconnect you can even think of as Samantha is very early on when she picks her own name, she's talking about mm. oh I I just went through a book in like a millisecond, and that's like the one thing that you got to have that disconnect way which she can she can think this fast but when it comes to the emotional stuff when her and Theodore are having like these heart to heart talks she needs time to think about that even more I mean, than she these does books. she does come back to disconnects later in the mm. film though like she starts to really showcase the differences between theodore and her because you know it's like well she's anxious about it well yeah, yeah. but but like, he goes like how many people we've been talking to and she spouts it was like nine oh yeah it was like ridiculous. and he's like freaking out he's like what the f-? it's so good yeah it's so good um i guess i can run a couple more little things i know well actually you know what let's talk about lost in translation 
Oh yeah, because this is the the counter. This is film. the counter. Obviously, for those who don't know, Spike Jones and Sofia Coppola were married. They broke up, and they each made a film essentially about that that break, about that divorce, not marriage story. Although hmm. Scarlett, you know what, Scarlett Jans, she's been involved in a lot of other people's divorce stories. <laughs> just she must have that. that like, oh my god, lovable charm but heartbreaking persona. Yeah. Like, like people are like I want to make a movie about my bloody divorce, Scarlett Johansson. Is she available? <laughs> she's got that like fall in love characteristic. You know, it's funny. Oh, I think she is like she isn't like she's got like this thing that I can't quite put my like tongue on. <laughs> that is it. Why isn't that the expression? That's the expression. Finger. Finger. Sorry. What. Fuck are you talking about? Your I tongue on. Put my finger on. Because uh, in my head I was doing this, and I was like, "You put it on your tongue, I'm an idiot." <laughs> Sorry, I meant finger. F- oh my god. Because it's like That's you do brilliant. that, and I was like, yeah, "That's the dumbest thing I've ever said on the podcast." <laughs> uh, I was um, going on last week about your bloody word symptoms and shit. And yeah, I know. Um, quite put my tongue I can't quite put my finger on it, but it's like you're like drawn to. <laughs> I guess it comes back to that expression of how, like, the camera loves you. <laughs> All right. I wouldn't, Sorry, okay. It okay. wasn't that funny. I'm not laughing anymore, don't worry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, but The camera's really close. Yeah. Relation. Yep, yep, yep. I don't know. She's just fun to watch on screen, even when she's a phone. Yeah. <laughs> so. But her role in Lost in Translation, though, is like... I have my opinions about Lost. They both. I mean, the funny thing is, I do agree. I think both these films have very weak endings. <laughs> ah, you know what? Yeah, they have, I don't like the ending to Lost in Translation, and I okay. don't, I'm not like hugely negative on the ending. It's a bit of uh, that's, I guess, how this film should end. But it's just because it's it's just I think because it meets well, your expect. Both the films meet the expectation of the film, and because they meet the expectation of the film. Or our, our, and I'm saying our, I'm talking about like that apparatus screen theory, mm. our expectation meets the reality of the film when it yep. really shouldn't. Right, gotcha. Um, we should be thrown off course by the end, you're right. Yeah, well, it's like, they're basically just serving what we expect. It's like, if we expect a stake at the end of this film, we're getting given a stake, and it's like... Would have been nice if you surprised us with something. <laughs> Particularly in Lost in Translation, not so much here, but both films have very well, soft endings. You've told me about your issues with the ending of Lost in Translation. Once I watched the film, I don't remember which episode that would have been when I watched it. It was in the 40s. Yeah, probably early 40s, something like that. But when I finally watched it, I talked to you about the ending, and it sounded like your main issue was that, and you kind of expressed it there, but that they took it, they weren't subtle enough. They could have been more subtle, which is exactly what you said kind of happened at the end of Her. Where the fact that we don't, you know, we just see Amy's head resting on his shoulder. It could still be platonic. They're not kissing. But that's me reading into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The I fact know. of the matter is most people... But I'm saying if Lost in Translation had a similar ending where instead of kissing... Hugged and then he had whispered yeah. something in her ear. Like, he does the two things. Yep. Get rid of the kiss. Because then what happens is he could be whispering... I really like Loki, love you, but this is not going to work. I'm going to say something completely random. Uh, like a Loki love bread or something like that. And it's like, but the whisper is enough to be like, what did he say to her? He probably said something. And then now what we're doing is we're having that conversation. Because right, but what now he's done, yeah. is he, what she's done really well there, Sophia Coppola, is she has put uh, two uh, people that in no way, shape, or form when they first meet, you think they belong together. But by the end of the film, you feel drawn to wanting them together. Mm. And by giving us that kiss, you're serving up enough of the expectation. Like, yeah, they're not going to be together, but we now know they definitely have that feeling for each other. Right. That's concrete sort of thing. Yeah, it's concrete. It's like, yeah, sure, they may not have a relationship, but like we've established that that's how close their relationship is. Will they ever meet each other again? Because they kissed each other, more than likely, honestly. Hmm. Because... Well, I thought that was like a goodbye, goodbye kiss. No. I don't think so, because it's like he'll go on with his career. There's nothing really stopping him from seeing her again Mm. in that film. And then in this film, it's like, this one's a little subtler, but there's enough there for people to be like, well, they're probably going to get together. If they held hands, that would be too much. Right, gotcha. It's just subtle it's enough. It's just enough to be... It's better than Lost in Translation in mm-hmm. that sense, but I like both films. I really do. Because they both do 
odd couple relationships. Sophia's is more what we expect for an odd couple relationship compared to Spike Jones's. But well, it's more of it's. I don't want to say cultural because they're both like from the same culture. They just both end up in a different culture, and that that's almost how they yeah like, kind of meet through that. I I, I guess it, the age gap is the big one. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. That that's yeah. what makes them the odd couple. Yeah, it's like not necessarily that. I mean, they're both isolated characters, much like in her. Yeah. Um, but they both know that this can't last forever, but they're going to enjoy it while it still exists. Whereas in her, they, I feel no, like... I feel, it feels like they're in the long game, but again, Scarlet... But I think or, Samantha wasn't in the long yeah, game. Yeah, yeah. She outgrows yeah. sort of thing. And so. there's a very clear point where it feels like she's starting to like outgrow him before, even before she goes, like, I'm going away, basically. There's like, well, it's around their first like real fight. I think is when they're bringing that girl to impersonate her. Yeah, physically, I feel like that's the first real time when there's like, and it it goes back to Samantha's insecurities about her being an AI and her <laughs> not having a body. So they try and fix that. It makes things worse. And I think that's from the point on where it's like, okay, this is the first like. It's step. the red flag. Yeah, exactly. And it, and as opposed to <laughs> the red, the red. Ah, I see. As opposed to Samantha, oh, it's just a flag in this film. <laughs> Yes, I suppose so. <laughs> it's not a blue flag, that's for sure. I don't... <laughs> no, but it's like I, I kind of like that character development Sam has, mm. where she's insecure about herself, but then the ultimate breakup is the fact that she's doing things that only she can do, mm-hmm. while Joaquin or or um, Theodore in a in a human body, and is also someone who very very clearly believes in like the one, the one, mm. sort of thing. Uh, as opposed to like multiple other entities or relationships mm-hmm. or sort of thing, that's the main splitter, and that's how they're kind of. I wonder what like going to a party with Spike Jones and Coppola and Scarlett Johansson is like. You reckon there's like a custody battle? <laughs> <laughs> I was just saying. Uh, <laughs> like you get Noah Bombach in there too now, and he's. I was like, about to say. I was like, it's yeah. like we're all fighting over her. Yeah, she she's just got to act out all your divorce fantasies. Uh. Yeah. yeah. Should be on a yeah. business card. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like... I have another joke. I'll tell you after we stop okay. recording. I'm not going to say it on, on the air. But, um... <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, what, do you want to move into highlights? Um, you got anything else to add? Yeah. I'll just... A couple little footnotes, I suppose, to round out the cast. Yes. None other than Spike Jones is in the film himself yes. as the alien from the video game. Yes. Yeah, which I thought was really clever. And he's like, eh, fuck you. <laughs> That's so great. I love that video games also get the bump like the sci-fi bump in this where it's like all sort of um it's not virtual reality it's augmented reality mm-hmm. and then even that's Amy's job is making games so I thought that was like he's clearly fascinated by it so yeah it's pretty, I was like, it's pretty cool I love video games in here I reckon he'd be a cool person to talk to Spike Jones. yeah yeah he'd be kind of dope I reckon he'd be like quite contemporary too because he's a pretty like middle-aged right he definitely seems like on the younger side like the last mm. photo I saw from him but yeah, again, he's doing a lot of shorts and stuff, which is interesting because I feel like the more profound that I got... If I made her... Okay, if I made this film... 50. Bang on 50. 50, there you go. Beautiful. I feel like if I had made her, I would just want to make another her. As in, like, I would want to make another big feature, like award-winning splash. Maybe he's done his love letter. And that's like, Maybe, and yeah. Maybe he's happy where he sits. Maybe... He's like, I, I mean, it's that thing. It's like the itch to scratch. It's like, if you don't have a good idea, you don't mm, have to make something. That's true. And if he really feels like he... I think that's one thing I appreciate about both the Spikes, Jones and Lee, is they both <laughs> uh, they both only seem to make films when they feel like they've got something to say. Right. Particularly Spike Lee's really good with it. I can appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, he's like... he um Spike Jones has produced like some of the Jackass stuff as well. And uh, I'm he trying to like see. A, he sounds like a man child, doesn't he? <laughs> doesn't he just like <laughs> a little bit? Like he, I don't know. And that, that's not a bad thing. I think I think it's good that he's he wants to have a bit of fun. I'm actually looking at this now. So obviously, when he did "I'm Here," the short that mm-hmm. led into this, he done a couple of other shorts like "The Vampire Attack." Uh, let's see, scenes from the suburbs, like stuff like that, and "Choose You," which also came out in 2013. So since "Choose You" and her. In the last, I guess, six to seven mm-hmm. years now, he's done two short films. Hmm. So maybe, he's, maybe he is doing a new feature. And yeah. oh, he also produced the Jim and Andy doco. That's cool. That's pretty cool. But um, you see what I mean? Like he's just kind of all over the the cloud, if you will. Maybe Actually, he's, he's waiting doing... for his next. 
His next thing that draws him in. Maybe. Apparently, he did direct something in TV in this past year. Okay. So, he's he's working, but he's kind of down on the down low, which I can appreciate. Yeah. After you've done her, he maybe just want to chill out. You're right. Sense of completion, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Maybe there's... If he has another itch to scratch, we'll see him in the future. I mean, mm-hmm. I only have four films in 20 years. I mean, that says a lot right there. Yeah, it's like yeah. he's not... He's clearly... He's a patient person. He only wants to make stuff when he f- feels compelled to make something yeah. which I can respect because I feel like there are directors out there that overclutter their repertoire maybe to hide some of their lesser their oh. lesser works but yeah, yeah no I, f- I feel that a lot of in and out sort of yeah flubs and, and wins I guess exactly I exactly yeah. so do you want to yeah let's into... let's do it um all right so I wrote a couple of shout out excuse me <clears throat> some shout out scenes mm-hmm. so any, pretty much anything that is like purely experimental, I can really dig. So, but again, the girl imposing as Samantha at that one mm-hmm. point, it's just like, I don't really think the scene's like the most amazing thing in the world, but I can appreciate the uniqueness of the idea of that scene and what they're doing. Yeah, Blade Runner 2049 does a similar scene with its okay. uh, constructor, but I'm sure we'll talk about that at a later date. Yeah, but... we got to do we got to do the two Blade Runners mm-hmm. back-to-back one day. Um, and I also really like, actually not long after that scene, I like the shot when he's sort of walking around him and Smith for the fight. And then there's the TV behind him with the claws or the, the eagle going to claw him. Mm. I, even from the very first time I saw that in like, how I would have been like 16 when I first saw this movie. Mm. Even then I was like, I really appreciate that shot. Um, and I got to give a shout out to the, the song, the moon song that she kind of makes up. And I think it's when he's like exploring the snowy mountains and mm-hmm. trees and stuff. That's when they play it. And I just really like that song a lot. My overall highlight scene, we talked about this, is the uh, well, the initial sex scene, the initial lovemaking, if you will. Mm. And uh, what I love about some, you're right, it's so unique, it's so interesting, because they're basically having phone sex. Yeah. Which, since the first time I watched this movie, and now I'm like, okay, I have a better understanding of what phone sex is. Um, but also just that idea of it fading to black. And the rest of the scene, like the next minute or two of the scene is well, just becomes, audio. Yeah, it becomes audio. Yeah. Because yeah. it's almost, you're envisioning, well, I guess, I don't know, what what would you say that fade out means though? Oh, you're definitely, you're using audio sensors, you know, mm-hmm. like sensory, like filmmaking. So you're, you're, you're basically filling in the blanks, much like mm-hmm. the characters okay. in the scene. Um, I mean, for the most, like Joaquin doesn't know technically what Samantha looks like. Yeah. Like, so he has to, well, he knows from what her description of her is, but like her own imposed description, yeah, yeah. which kind of comes into that scene with the, the prostitute, um, or escort. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't call her a prostitute. Fair enough. <laughs> she's having sex with Joaquin, dude. No, but she's not getting paid. Oh, is she? No. Okay. Because remember she's, that's, that's really interesting. Cause remember she's all like, Oh, I just wanted to be a part of your relationship. Like, I just wanted to be a part of this special thing. Like, she didn't want money or anything like that. See what I mean? It comes back to Fever Dream. Like, it is. Yeah, stuff but like, like it's that. so cool. And yeah. she's like, when she feels rejected. It's like everyone's high. Yeah. <laughs> um, she's like bawling her eyes out, like, behind the door. I love that so much. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's definitely you filling in the blanks. Um, I think that could be essentially one of the weaknesses of having Scarlett Johansson being the voice of the robot. I think actually making that, pro- when now that you've said that that producer woman, the EP chick, um, yeah. Samantha Morton, yeah. um, did the voice on set, I almost would be compelled to get a no-name be the voice because... Because then, then you wouldn't know what she looks like. In yeah, we life. know what Scarlett Johansson looks like. and I, sub- I, never, I never, like... Okay. I never thought about watching this film. It's I mean, always... I only watched her for the first time maybe a year ago. So it's like, I'm well aware uh, of what she looked like. Well, I knew she was Black Widow when I watched it in like 2014. So I I think that to me would be the actual thing I tweeted. Like, and it's nothing to do with Scarlett Johansson at at all. It's, I'm sorry, you're good at your job and people know who you are. That's, (laughs) that's (laughs) That's your fault. Um, (laughs) Whereas if you got like a no name and it's like, let's be honest, there are no name, there are plenty of talented no name actresses out there who could play a plucky computer. The more I think about it, it's kind of shocking they did get a big name to do that role. That could have been one of the few executive 
pushes or maybe a Spike Jones deliberate push. I don't know. Maybe. Um, there could have been a... Because there was a bit of money behind this. Not a lot of money, but enough, like, a decent budget, right? Like, a relatively strong indie film budget. Uh, let me double check. Yeah. I was actually just checking um, Samantha Morton. I feel like it's, it feels like a 50 in. mil. I'll like be f- less than that for sure. Uh, $23 million budget. Yeah. So it's still relatively strong for an indie film. Yeah, yeah, like, definitely. Um, and, I mean, the only... Uh, apart from... I imagine Scarlett Johansson probably didn't get paid that much for voice work. So Yeah, that probably would have bumped her down for Probably would have been Joaquin and Amy Adams getting most of the the actor paychecks in Mm. the film. Um, I'm seeing what else um, Samantha Morton did in terms of if she's an unknown or not. She's an unknown enough to be like, I don't know her name. Yeah, when you said her name, I can't pin her face to her. That's fair enough. She doesn't have to be like... It just uh, given the current uh, like cultural landscape when this film came out in 2013, Scarlett Hansen was Black Widow at this point, and she was yeah. strongly affirmed in the MCU. She yeah. was the Avengers had already come out, yeah, and exploded. So yeah, exactly. So getting a no name might have made that scene one like I mean the scene's already really good, and I'm not going to take away from that. But I'm saying if I was to improve that scene, bringing a no name in might have actually been cool because. First off, you do that thing where it's like, who's this person who who's doing the voice? Right. And then it makes that scene a viewer experience as much of as, as a Joaquin Scarlett Johansson thing because we're now putting our own like projection of person on it. Whereas I feel like a lot of people that watch this film, they're going to project Scarlett yeah. Johansson because she does have a very iconic voice too. That's true. Like she's very recognizable. She's not putting on a voice per se. No, it's her voice. Yeah. It's a pluckier version of her voice, but no, it's still I do, her voice. I, I do agree with you. I'm glad she's cast just because she is so fucking good in this film. Um, I don't just, swear lightly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but you're you're right. You are right. And I'm curious what this film would have been like with either Samantha Morton or any unknown. Yeah, imagine if you'd gotten... Yeah, exactly. And I mean, obviously, if this Samantha Morton was mm. doing most of the voice work on set, clearly it didn't affect Joaquin's acting ability. Yeah. So as far as we know of, <laughs> so and know. for someone who is relatively <laughs> method, I feel like, um, yeah, if it Do you worked think for he him actually on set, masturbated on set. No, <laughs> you're boring. No. Uh, but yeah, like, um, I think yeah, if it worked for him on set, then maybe that might have been an idea. But and it would have been, I think, like that would have been cool, especially if. Imagine if they actually, even if you took it that step further, like in the credits of the film, you didn't even credit the actor. Right, it's like a Frankenstein thing where they just don't have credit for it. I mean, it. you credit on IMDb and stuff like that. Like, you do a bit yeah, of digging, yeah, but yeah. in the, the credits of the film... you have to dig to find it, yeah. Yeah. Because then that would, be, that would be pretty sweet. Because then it literally becomes her. Sorry, <laughs> that's just putting Zeke's marketing hat on. I have the same <laughs> highlight scene, so I feel like this deserves an extensive Fair discussion. Fair enough, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, well... And awesome. that and the Chris Pratt stuff. I actually really like that Chris Pratt. Oh, date. like when they had that a little picnic. Scene. Yeah, it's nice. And they're laughing and stuff. Yeah, it's really nice. But yeah. No, I thought... It's interesting because even last week we were talking about um, Sweet Country mm-hmm. and I made a point of saying that there's a few scenes in that film where there's no audio jumps, but the visual cuts. It cuts to something else. Yes. Where doing the juxtaposition with no sound interference. And this film does the exact same thing when Theodore's thinking about his ex-wife. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, it just, for me, it works so well this mm. time around. There's an interesting contrast between the two. Yeah. I don't know what the difference is, I guess. I, I don't know. It could be the motive. It Maybe. feels more motivated in the context of the film. It has to be narrative, you're right, because it's not, it's not technical. Because no. it's exactly the same. Really, thing. it's establishing a character relationship or a, and a, like things like the Grey do it really well too. Um, uh, right. Yeah. With Liam Neeson envisioning his passed away wife. So big off. Yeah, that's a good movie. That's a movie that needs to be talked about more. We can do it one week. I've forgotten about it. Yeah, we'll wait for Liam Neeson stuff to cool down. I don't know if it's cooled down really enough at oh, this point. Oh, wait, what did he even do again? I don't even remember. Uh, he talked about when he was oh, younger. Oh yeah, he wanted to kill someone. Yeah. Well, That's right, because he hurt, he raped his friend or something. Allegedly, let's put the allegedly in there. I think. No, but he like admitted it. Oh, yeah, he did. It was on like live TV. He just tried, like, yeah, I wanted to kill that dude. Yeah, he was younger. I tried to kill that dude. Yeah. Because I, you know what? I don't even care. I'm like, yeah, fair enough. I'm sure. 
uh, uh, here we go. This is my turn again. <laughs> I'm sure I've gotten really close to wanting to kill people before. Brutal. Brutal. We're learning some hard stuff here in episode 55. <laughs> All right, Don't well, remind people which episode number it is. I need, to, I need this to be buried. No, okay. Um, thank you. Uh, that Her is currently out in wide, wide release. release. DVD, I think it's Blu-ray. on Netflix. I just checked it's not on Netflix or Stan. I hate it. It's like you Google... You know what annoys me? You Google the movie and you go Netflix and then Netflix app pops up and says the movie and the description for the movie. Then you click on Netflix and it, it doesn't and it exist. Does exist. Yeah. It's like that's so cheeky. Yeah. <laughs> They're trying to get you. That's really cheeky. And I mind. doubt it's on Disney Plus. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, but like I, like I said earlier, I got her... this for two dollars in an op shop. Oh, really? This Blu-ray version of it. Nice. I was so happy. I think I had to. No, no, no. I could find this in the store because some Blu-rays I had to. I went on the binge to try and buy my top five films of the decade, and I hadn't. I didn't own her up until mm-hmm. not long ago. That was easy to find in the store. Others like Social Network. That was. I had to order them on eBay. But uh, mm. her is much easier to find. I got that on DVD. Oh well, there um, you go. But it it is one of my favorite films of all time, and part I think part of it is the timing. I did watch it between like year eleven, twelve. So I just started my media studies officially. Uh, it was post Breaking Bad, which means I was like in the filmic mindset, in the film vibes. Yeah, exactly. But it was also early enough for me to like have that experience and be like, wow, that was incredible. Well, no worries. Well, Jake, what is out in cinemas this week. Right. Well, like we established earlier, we're in our pre-record archive stages. But this is the last one. This is the last one. So next week, we'll be we'll be back to our normal regular dates and stuff. We'll be telling you about the Come stuff. Come back a changed man. Yeah. Will you? Mm, who knows? I won't. <laughs> I'll be doing the same shit as always. <laughs> um, so, but like I said, in the next week, subject to change because we are announcing these or, or revealing these early in advance. But anyway... Birds of Prey is coming out, or the, uh, or it's Birds of Prey and the Fabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. I hate that title. That sounds horrible. Birds of Prey is a much better title. I do not want to uh, watch no, that movie. No. <laughs> we could have done it next week. <laughs> nah, come on, after Suicide Squad. Who, who, who? That's a good point. Come on, Hey, guys. but you got rid of Jared Leto, though. It's like the first line in the trailer. I dumped my fucking bad actor boyfriend. <laughs> I'm so sick of I'm so I'm sick of Mug Robbie doing a Boston accent. Like yeah. it's like Boston, it's like that Jersey. Did you do the accent. Sharon Tate accent some more? <laughs> no. It's, I, they all sound the same to me. I've watched all those movies, they all sound the same. No, no, I don't I don't blame you. Yeah, like I'm not excited for Birds of Prey. The trailer looked cool, but it exists. Uh for Sama, is it Sama? S A M A. I wanna say Selma, but that's not how it's spelled. I'd say Sama. Sama. For Sama, which is a a Cannes Award-winning doco shot over five years that tells the story of a young woman's journey through love, war, and motherhood in Syria. Man, that's... um, That sounds heavy. That's... that's, Yeah, and some loadedness right there. Mm. And last but not least, H.P. Lovecraft's Color Out of Space. That sounds like a really classic sci-fi. But what it actually is is a horror film starring Nicolas Cage. Interesting. Interesting. Well, we're not watching any of those next week on the show. <laughs> I love, um, I love in when you celebration do that. of like, screw those films. <laughs> in celebration of Jake and I officially graduating. The day of the next podcast. The day of the next podcast. We thought we'd watch something that you know fits in the appropriate. Seems a little more appropriate, you're right. So, Jake, what are we watching next week? We're watching The Graduate. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. Listen, everybody, I want you all to be quiet. I've got Ben's college yearbook here, and I just want to read you some of the wonderful things about Ben. Hey, there's the award-winning scholar. We're all very proud of you, Ben. How are you, track star? What are you going to do now? I was going to go upstairs for a minute. Oh, I meant with your future. Your life. Well, that's a little hard to say. Because While he is lured into a seductive affair with the wife of his father's business partner, college graduate Benjamin also falls in love with her daughter, Elaine. This sounds Whoa. messy. I was going to say, like, the wife of the father's business partner. Like, that sounds like me, like, oh, hey, my, my mum's friend's daughter's sister dated this guy. Like, that yeah, kind of I thing. Was, it's like, what? Messy. Could just be a uh, love triangle between uh, 
business partner's wife and daughter. And this is Dustin Hoffman, yes? It's his uh, actorial debut, I'm wow, pretty sure. Wow, okay. I just realised how clever the casting is of him as Lisa sub- Substitute in The Simpsons, because it actually sounds similar. Mm. Less love affair, but more the, the relationship entanglement, if you will. I, I specifically it's read a book um, that we you recommended back in uh, second year of university titled Audition by Michael Shirtliff, oh. and that cited this uh, his first audition for this film. Wow. Um, so I've never seen this film. I know the ending of the film, but I've never seen. I haven't this seen. Film. I haven't seen this film either. Um, and you haven't, and it's probably yeah. something we need to watch. And we're going to graduate. And we're graduating. We're graduate. So this also will be our oldest film we've ever done to date, at nineteen sixty-seven. No, Once Upon a Time in the West. I'm pretty sure. Nineteen sixty-eight. Oh, oh, spicy. Well, no dramas. So. Thank you for joining us for the Cinema Side Show podcast. I was Zeke. I was Jake. We'll catch you next week with The Graduate.